the room that I write in, the wall is just covered in post notes. It looks like a crime investigation scene, like random squallings of a madman. <laughs> yeah. This is the big story. Yeah, this is the time of the year that I find that I've looked back in the past at my abandoned resolutions and that's been a sobering time for sure. I don't know about you, but my brain takes an inordinate amount of effort just to keep it on track. This must be the result of having ADHD or ADD or whatever the the syndrome is. It has been a lifelong struggle just to stay focused on things. In December, I was just feeling so dragged out that I ramped up the self-care before the year ended. Surprisingly, it stuck. Uh, one of the hardest things for me has been journaling. And I think I've done more research on the process of journaling than all I've done in the past put together, which could be a lovely procrastination tool, but for some reason it is actually locked in. I am far from an expert and I'm just learning about bullet journaling, which if you're a person who needs some way to keep your own accountability and check, this is a pretty useful tool. So check it out if it's something that you might be interested in. There's a ton of stuff on YouTube. There's a website, bulletjournal.com. Unpaid plug, but it's been a big help. Oh, today's talk is with uh, Dave Cook. Dave and I talk about... <laughs> focus and ADD and uh, all that work that it takes to keep the uh, the wheels rolling. He's an incredibly busy writer, writing all sorts of stuff for comics and video games. And he writes historical books about video games. It's fascinating stuff. I, I, I know nothing about video games. So this was really quite a revelation for me. His crowdfunding comic, uh, Kiltopia, has been a big breakout. And I think uh, Dave is really sort of at that point where he's hitting his stride. And I'm really excited to see where he takes his creativity. Heads up, if you are a video game person, I say nothing correct about video games the whole time. So <laughs> apologies. And I also had COVID, so my nose is all stuffy. Hope that doesn't bug you too much. All right. This is me and Dave Cook. The family and your parents, or do you have siblings? Um, yeah, I've got a sister um, and uh, just my parents, yeah. Um, currently living with, living here with my wife and our two cats. So uh, no kids yet, which means I don't have to juggle being a dad with comics yet. Um, so because um, I don't know how I'm going to do that if that ever happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's like um, I, I pretty much am nonstop, not, not just on comics, but I do like I do other forms of writing as well. Like I do. Um, I still dabble in games journalism from here to here and there you know i do features for magazines and websites and stuff but um i actually started writing history books about video games as well for a publisher um and they're big like encyclopedia size like big big books but they, they keep me busy for about four months or five months out of the year so it's just like on top of my job <laughs> i still yeah. work like uh, four days a week nine to five so it's like um I think I'm almost at that point where I can start dropping another day, but I just need something big to happen in terms of like maybe like another pitch to land or something like that. Maybe I can mm. 
you know, scale down on the actual job and do more of this. But um, yeah, something needs to give soon, I think, because it's getting quite uh, full on. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I mean, that was, I guess, kind of the impetus of why I reached out to you is uh, that, you know, you were having this sort of conflict like a week ago. (laughs) You're like, how do I get to that next stage? Yes. Yeah, it's it's weird because I kind of, I kind of like know that obviously networking is a big part of it, right? And and pitching and stuff like that. But for me, it's like, I've got like a lot of ongoing series of my own that are, that are, you know, going through Kickstarter and things like that. But it's it's also like finding money and the time to put together pitches for bigger publishers. Like they cost money as well, right? So it's, I, I know a lot of people who have like, oh, I've got 10 different pitches out of publishers. And I'm like, where do you find the money for all that? Like it's, right. it's not cheap, you know? Um, but currently my money is being spent on making the books that I funded on Kickstarter. So it's like, I'm gonna pitch some stuff this year though I'm, I'm starting to sort of speak with an artist about something we're hoping to pitch to image but um who knows like we'll see but um i'm just not too good at the networking thing like i'm okay at it when it's other indie creators but see when it's someone quite big at a con i don't want to be that guy that goes up to them and go hey you know with an ulterior motive because they must get that so many times a oh, day sure. um it's tricky i'm not so nuanced about it that's what i'm trying to say so i i get too nervous and i just don't bother um, right, kind of silly, but um, yeah, I, I I can I can relate. I remember being uh, super comfortable spending time with the people, the editors, and the writers and other creators, but I was never really comfortable of making that a business thing. Mm-hmm. So super hard to go, hey, yeah, cool, and then somehow like gracefully you know like i'm you know george clooney or something you know just naturally transition into the thing that i need that i'm here for um which is ridiculous because we're all at the conventions for that one purpose and one purpose alone oh yeah it's career advancement right or in sales and, and things right so it's that yeah you're right that's exactly why we're all there but I, I i totally get yeah i'm glad that you get what i meant because it's almost like business mode and hey i'm going to give you a, a pitch and be professional um i have kind of anxieties and i'm getting diagnosed for adhd soon as well so i kind of like me and like um being quite cool and calm and networking like doesn't mix because i i ramble and i stutter and i make trip over my words and i take so long to get to the point sometimes so um that fear kind of just make me makes me stop doing it and, and holds me back from making that first step but yeah um, it's, it's interesting though and, and it's it's because I've been doing like Comic Con since I think two, 2015, I think was my very first con. Um, but last year was the first year where I kind of felt that people were kind of coming to me a bit more. And like mm-hmm. people were at my table and being like people that I regard as like pretty high up there, you know, kind of working with big publishers, like coming over to my table. We never met, never spoken, but like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that does this and that. And I'm like, okay, something's kind of shifting here. I feel it kind of that people are kind of aware of my stuff before I've even spoke to them. And I didn't, I don't really know how to respond to that yet, but it's cool. You know, it's, it's not like, it's not me having a humble brag or anything, but it just feels okay. Maybe, maybe I'm kind of all the marketing, all that stuff is finally starting to come back around, you know? Um, so maybe I, 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 I that's kind of why I thought for this year, I'm maybe going to just try and put myself out there a bit more because it feels yeah. like the time's been right, but uh, we'll see. It is, it, it is, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it, it's not bragging it, it, to feel good that somebody recognizes your efforts like that. It, it, I mean, we have to be fair to ourselves and say, it, not only are you doing this for artistic satisfaction, you're also doing it for communication and for livelihood. Um, so those things do kind of make a play. Um, yeah. I will, you know, it's funny you say the ADHD. I was apparently diagnosed with it when I was 11. Let's say oh. around then, but I was not told that I had it. So I was in my mid thirties when the information was revealed to me, <laughs> which, oh, wow. okay. it, which explained a lot. Uh, it explained my twenties for sure. Um, yeah. I, the, the sooner you can kind of get your hands on whatever tools you need to handle that the better. And, uh, cause it's a lifelong thing. It doesn't just go like, okay, cool. I, I'm done. Um, yeah. So I would, uh, yeah. Good luck with that. It's crazy. Like how many people have recently, certainly in comics that I, that I know of have recently in recent years come out and said, yeah, I just got diagnosed. It's like, so I don't know if that says something about the creative, creative people, you know, that natural thing they have, like maybe that's somehow linked. I don't know, but, um, Seems like a lot of comedy people I know certainly have, have uh, stepped forward and said they have it. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> he didn't remember, but I embarrassed myself well with uh, Steve Rude um, in like 1994, 95, maybe. I don't remember. It was in San Diego and we were hanging out at some after party. And I had not met Steve Root at that point. And my buddies who I went to school with and comic friends, they knew how big of a fan I was. And they were like, oh, hey, it's Steve. And I was just so squirmy. Like I couldn't stand still. It was this really, and I so don't care most of the time, but it was just this one of those moments. Didn't expect it. And they were just, they, I mean, they still give me hell for it years later. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> But Steve didn't remember. So it's cool. That's good. <laughs> I empathize. Right. It only happened now because I keep, because I repeated the fact that it happened. Um, so, so games, I mean, games clearly, you're saying games are a big thing for you uh, in your life as well as comics. Do you have a sort of one stepping out as the, before the other in your memory, like as a kid? For video games, yeah. I mean, my, my favorite game of all time uh, is also my favorite game from my childhood, which is Streets of Rage 2 uh, for the, okay. the Mega Drive or the Genesis, I guess, in the States. Um, yeah, that that's like by far my favorite game. It, it just kind of... Because the, the game itself has like a very 90s like techno kind of soundtrack and it's kind of neon colored. It just encapsulates like a time capsule of the, the vibe of the 90s so well. And it just brings back all these... Um, you know, memories of me going to the video rental store and like pick, renting it before I had enough pocket money to buy it. And uh, just so many nights spent playing with my sister, like um, playing and, and beating each other up by accident and getting angry at each other <laughs> um, and, and things like that. But that um, that whole genre, the, the beat em up genre, that is one of the encyclopedias, uh, gaming encyclopedias that I, I've written in, in, in recent, recent years uh, was a full, you know, um, 35 year history of that genre in this big hardback book and it was the first first ever gaming book publishing deal i ever got and i i was sort of thinking what could i write about what do i love and i'm like that genre to me is so near and dear to my heart that i thought right it has to be that one yeah uh, 
and uh, as far as I know, I don't think anyone else has written a book on that genre, like to that degree. So um, that's kind of weird. But um, I'm currently working on one which is about running gun games. So it's the same thing. It's an encyclopedia reference guide of like every game in the running gun genre, and it's everything from like you know Contra all the way to like Cuphead and things like that. So um, kind of finding. Uh, with all that kind of stuff too but um, yeah definitely side-scrolling beat-em-ups I think Final Fantasy 7 is up there for me as well and the Dark Souls games are my you know that whole From Software Elden Ring Bloodborne that kind of stuff just I love it so much very very difficult of course and rage inducing sometimes but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I I love it yeah <laughs> that's yeah that's cool I you know I I, sk- I missed the whole video game world it was just this kind of weird timing in my life, but I have a lot, so many friends. They're just big time video game players and creators. So it's a, it's a cool place to, you know, to work in. Did they, did you want to be in the video game business? So weirdly, um, ever since like the, the earliest I can remember, this was uh, pr- so primary school, which I guess for, I guess you guys don't have that over there, but it's um, I guess like age seven, I, whatever the equivalent would be in America. Um, so I remember distinctly being told off by my parents because I, they opened up my school bag one day and there was loads and lots and lots of graph paper that I'd stolen from school um, yep. because it has grid lines on it, right? And the reason mm-hmm. I stole it was because I wanted to draw my own Mario Brothers levels with the blocks and like to keep it all uniform. And I would write little storylines. Okay. Mario is going to this level and he's going to rescue the princess and do these things. And um, even back then I was like, Oh, I'd love to make my own game one day. That would be great. Um, which later morphed into, I would love to write about video games in high school. Like I, I really wanted to do that. Like I loved English as my, um, was my main subject, you know, and I, I did journalism at high, uh, university as well. So I knew from a very young age that I wanted to write about video games or write video games. And I've, I've now done both, which is, which is kind of wild, but um, I, I, I did work full time in video game journalism, but I did that for about uh, almost 10 years, but then just, I, I had to get out of it because it was just like, my hobby was really my job and the toxic fandom of games online. I was getting so fed up of like just posting a news story something positive about Sony happened, right? I post a news story about it on the website I was working on and I read so much hate from Xbox fans. Oh, you, you're writing a positive story about, <laughs> about PlayStation. What does that mean? You hate Xbox? Oh, you should like quit. You should kill yourself. And I'm like, I don't need this. I'm out. <laughs> um, so I put up with that for a few years, did all the sort of cool press junkets and all that stuff. And then I was just like, I'm, I've had my fun. I, I'm, I'm done that's basically what made me want to write something more long form like comics or, or novels. Um, that's kind of what started my interest in writing comics. Um, cause I tried to write my first novel. This was around about 2012, 13, uh, when I was living in England doing uh, games journalism. Um, so I quit and then, um, started doing a different job and I thought I'm going to start writing a novel Then realized I was really bad at describing things in the text. Oh. Okay. Um, I can do it now, you know, panel descriptions and stuff. I, I I can do it really well now, but back then it was like everywhere felt really generic. I wasn't good at describing the vibe of a room or how people looked. So I just thought I'm going to be lazy and turn this into a comic and get someone to draw these things. <laughs> and um, handle your descriptions. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> like it, it's a weird sort of 
path to take, but uh, me and my friend Chris did uh, our very first comic was called Bust. It was like a, a one shot that eventually turned into a series when people started like enjoying it. So um, we put that out and it was always intended to be just a one-off thing. And then people enjoyed it and said, hey, when are you doing another one? So we were like, yeah, well, I guess we could. <laughs> um, and that's that's really, so it's, it's a lot of happenstance and sort of really strange circumstances and uh, trajectories there. But, you know, but, but I find finally found comics, which is the thing I love doing most. So, yeah, you get there how you I, get there. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's true. I, I had a, actually was talking to one of my, uh, an old friend of mine today and I, I guess the founder and CEO of this company, it, it's a very successful company, like big, big, huge kind of company that serves Fortune 10 companies. So like, I mean, they're very massive. And he he's like, if somebody said to me 20 years ago, if this is what, that I would be doing this, I would I would have just, you know, punched them and called them ridiculous because it just it doesn't there's no way. And, and it would be hard to track that, um, how it happened for him. But it's just like this thing in life, man. It's so hard to say, I'm going to go do this. And that's the thing I'm only going to do because all these opportunities pop up and we have to make those sometimes split decision, split, you know, or whatever, split decisions of in the moment going, what do I do? Or we have a little bit of time to make a choice, but it's fortunate. I don't know. It's just fortune kind of shining a light and then you go okay i'll try this or i'll do that or or, that sounds fun (laughs) you know and we do that um and then here we are yeah and it's you're right and it's like i mean comics i mean again for me we're always just that was just a one-off just just for fun you know just to see if i could do it there was never any sort of a financial goal or, or, you know, I didn't, I didn't care about getting published. I still kind of don't, which is probably part of why I'm not good at networking. I don't, it's just because most of our, I mean, all of my stuff is, um, it's on Kickstarter, you know, it's self-perpetuating. We don't really, really need a publisher to do what we do. I think, I think the only thing that we really bring to the table, uh, is like bigger distribution, you know, um, getting us into more comic shops worldwide and potentially more, more scope for getting, you know, merchandising and things like that, you know, um, multimedia type stuff. Right. Um, but I think, I think it has made me a bit complacent, you know, um, where we're kind of doing it ourselves, but, um, I should add that one of my comics is actually published, but it's kind of an interesting deal where they still let us crowdfund everything and kind of stay independent, which we're we're really lucky to have that. Um, that's Killtopia. So that's yeah. still 100% independent, but they publish and distribute it for us, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I guess it has maybe kind of complacent, you know, I'm, I'm so busy doing all this stuff myself and kind of being the boss and um, of all my other comics. So I guess it's kind of like, if I don't get published, I don't, it's not the end of the world, you know? So um, right. it would still be a cool thing to say you've done though, right? Like, let's be honest, it'd be pretty sweet, but um, you know, a bigger publisher, but um yeah, I don't know. It's it's just we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there is a there's a ton of strategy behind the whole process of how you build anything, and talking with a lot of creators over the years, I am fascinated at how strategic they are with most everything they've done, and that's I mean, it's an impressive feat to be as conscious of what you're doing at all times. Something that. I struggle with, with my 
wired brain. But there's this kind of cool thing when I hear, oh, you just do this and do that. And I'll, I'll take it back to drawing and I'll take it back into the dark ages of the 90s. The whole thing used to be, okay, we'll do some work for Marvel, go do some work for DC. And then Marvel will be happy to have you back and they'll pay you a little bit more money and you kind of hopscotch your way up the re- the ladder. And then more and more companies got in the mix and that sort of that model doesn't really uh, hold up today. But I think when it comes to creating your own books, that idea of going to a publisher and then doing a storyline for an existing property is the way that the modern version of that. So what you do is you get a whole bunch of people who already love that comic character, whatever the thing is, and they go, oh, wow, I love this this thing. Oh, and I really love Dave's version of this cool and then dave goes back and does another thing of dave's thing and they go i'm gonna go follow dave over here and see what dave's doing because i really i really dug what he did with my favorite comic book yeah it's interesting it's interesting because i i i don't i I'm, i'll be honest i'm not a big superhero guy um, um there's one or two that i like but it's more i'm a big fan of dystopian stuff most of my most of the things yeah. i some sort of dystopian kind of background or some big world ending threat that's come in or has has already destroyed the world or something i I can't really tell you why i like that it just it just resonates with me some for some reason but um we we did me and my friend actually uh we did actually put out a book um i was actually signing them before i came on this call (laughs) um because uh we just got the printed books back today uh, it's our first ever video game license that we bagged. Um, oh, wow. And it's uh, for an old arcade game from 1993 called Ninja Baseball Batman. Uh, right. It has no affiliation with Batman from DC. <laughs> um, it's just a very similar name. But um, we we actually, we, we're big fans of this game. And I, through my game journalism work, I got to know the um, the creator of the game. And uh, I just loved it. It's one of these, like, the game flopped at launch. It really flopped badly in the arcades. But through, like, YouTube and people playing it on, um, online uh, in, their, in their videos and Twitch and stuff like that, it just got really popular again. So uh, my artist friend, Steve, he just said, like, oh, can we ask, like, you know the guy who made that game, right? Or, like, came up with the characters, at least. Um, can you can you ask him if we could do a comic on it? So I, I emailed him out of the blue and said, hey, remember me, you know, from back in the day? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, how are you doing? I'm like, can we make a comic of your game? And he now owns the sole rights to all the characters. So he was just like, oh. yeah, you can have a license for free because nobody's doing anything with it. Wow. Um, so now in a weird way. So we just, I, I, we just got issue one back from the printers just now, which is really cool. Um, but we're thinking once a few more issues are, are out, we might try pitch that to a, you know, like a IDW or someone, right. Who, who does, already does a lot of video game comics to say, Hey, we, we can, we, this is proof that we can adapt things and do our, our own spin on uh, these video game IP. And we're just going to hopefully say to these publishers, what other properties do you have that we could maybe work with? Or like, um, you know, if we could get another game license, would you be interested? So I think that might be a nice, weird start of a trajectory for us, like to maybe sure. get into that kind of thing. But because I've actually spoken again through my game journalism days, you know, um, I know a lot of people from marketing departments, from game publishers and things like that, um, who have been in touch with me to say, hey, you do comics now, right? Uh, I remember you from your journalism days. We were thinking mm-hmm. about putting together a comic for this game. That must have happened about five times already for different games, which I probably oh, wow. can't talk about because of NDAs and stuff, but um, none of them worked out. 
because as soon as they got like a quote from me for like here's how much the comic costs to make they were all like oh we didn't think it would be so much we're done <laughs> i think it just it didn't quite understand like how much comics take to make right so um one of the one of the franchises was like Need for Speed. We got asked to pitch for like Rayman, uh, Duke Nukem. We got asked to pitch for, um, but none of them went ahead. So, but I think I think we're starting to learn kind of more what these publishers want and the game the game publishers want. So, you never know. That might be a future thing corner of the market we can sort of uh, work on. And yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it's a big shock if people aren't committed or aware of it that things cost money uh, you know they're, they're, while they're in the business of only making money for their own business they they get shocked when other people say oh but this is going to cost you money we um we did a comic um when i was an art director at uh at l'oreal one of the other brands was diesel i think yeah this is for diesel and my fellow art director she uh it's like, I want to do a comic book for, for this. And I was like, all right, cool. And their, their, uh, their brand manager was super like gung ho. So she was always good at green lighting things. So I said, all right, cool. I was like, well, he, here's some names of some people. So I gave, I gave her, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Phil Noto. I'm like, Hey, these people are really good. Go hire them. So they did it. They paid for it. And this comic book was like published for, I think like a gift set or something. So it went around like, probably had a good distribution of like 60,000. So, um, yeah. good on them. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> yeah, but that, I think that's a great, I mean, it's a great market. The video game market is, it, it is part and parcel with the comic book market. So lots of crossover. I mean, if, if there's someone like you who loves, you know, Ninja baseball, you know, <laughs> video game, there's other people who like other games. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there's actually a publishing house here in the UK that I got in touch with recently. And, and this is the part of the whole networking and, and approaching people thing that eludes me. Um, I actually just um, through a friend got um, a, a, an editor's email address. And I got their blessing to like email this uh, publisher. And um, I said, you know, you don't know me, but here's some of the work I've done. We've done this Ninja Baseball uh, Batman comic. Um, I've almost been approved to write these other video game comics, but I've got a background in video games, you know, throwing all these things in there, right. To try and say like, I, I can do this. I know I can do this and I can help you with it. Um, and then I got a, an email back really polite, just sort of saying, Oh yeah, cool. Okay. Well, well, we'll keep you in mind for when we get a new license. Are there any that you'd be interested in? So I sent an email back with a few that I, I knew I could sort of like, I know, I know the story really well, the lore, you know, all that kind of stuff that I feel I could write a story in that world, right? And then I got nothing back. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? And it's that part of your brain where you're like, did I say too much or did I seem too enthusiastic? Or Right. But then the hard fact is the editors are really busy, right? And sometimes you forget you forget that, that it might have just got lost in the ether. It's maybe just not they, – they're maybe holding off until it's time to actually talk about something, right? Um but then you, oh, that part of your mind still thinks, am I doing this right? Am I actually approaching people the right way? Because um, you never know like what kind of, you might say something perfectly fine, but yet it still closes the door, you know? Um, so I don't know. I guess we'll see if they'll ever get back to me. <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you just have to keep putting, putting you know, 
bred in the trap, but I, I we're not trying to trap them. We're trying to encourage them. Um, but I mean, but like, I mean, you just have to kind of keep th- that stuff out there. So they, because it's also, man, it's all timing because they could walk out of a meeting in eight months from now where they're like, Hey, we, we bought a, we made a big deal. We've got a whole bunch of licensed properties, but part of our deal is that we have to do sort of promotional stuff of some sort. And our budget is X and they're like, we need a comic book. And then it's like, you could be in that guy's back of his head, but yeah. then just by dumb luck, somebody, you know, comes into the office that day, like, Oh, my brother does comic books. And then that guy gets the job. So, I mean, your job is to be the guy who's not just in the back of the head, but sort of like relevant to the people who are making choices. Yeah. Yeah. You're completely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's not something I worry about too much. It's kind of, um, I, I am quite good sometimes for just like chucking stuff out there and seeing what happens. Cause it, my dad always used to say this, right. If you don't ask, you don't get right. It, it's, it's true though. You just have to, you know, politely, um, put yourself out there right? and speak to people. And, um, but it's kind of, I, I guess one thing I, I'm not too good at as well is I see like a lot of anthologies happening and stuff like that and people getting approached for them. And I'm like, do people, and I, part of me is like, how do I make myself approachable, right? How do I get on those radars so people think of me before I pitch them kind of thing? Um, but admittedly, I'm not, I, I'm, I've not been the best at like putting myself on radars for that kind of project. So probably have to start doing that. But I guess, I guess anthologies are a good way to get your name in amongst a lot of people. So um, I'm actually putting together my own anthology for next year. Uh, for our series Kiltopia. So um, that got a lot of interest already for the long list of like artists and writers and stuff. So a lot of people I've never worked with before. So I'm hoping that that will make my contact pool much bigger. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we'll see. But yeah, just got to keep cracking on, right? <laughs> totally. You know, it's it's interesting about the the anthology. It reminds me of uh, <clears throat> David Peterson with Mouse Guard. How he and he's very he's very focused on his story world. But when he finally said, "Yeah, sure, I'm going to do a, an anthology," he was really clever in that he had them told his stories in the actual world. So he made a framework of that. The bartender said, Hey, all you dirty rats, um, owe me money on your bar tabs. The winner who tells the best story, I will expunge their bar tab. So each one of these stories is that story being told about, you know, for, to get there. So it doesn't have to be Canon. It's just a good story within that world. And I thought, like, that's really, really smart. Uh, and, I, and I think for a anthology, if you have a good hook, the hook is as interesting as the actual meat. Yeah, and, that, and that's something I wasn't too sure about for our one, because um, it, it's going to be set in the, the world of Kiltopia, which is, you know, cyberpunk. It's set in Neo-Tokyo. But um, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to be canon as well, right? I didn't want it to, like, have to depend, depend too much on what happened in the, the main series and things like that. So <laughs> the, the base concept for this one is that the theme will be around entertainment. So anything to do with entertainment, like, you know, sitting down and getting, you know, nostalgic for your favorite movie, how entertainment brings us together, how we can get addicted to it. But it's the, the sort of backbone, the sort of framework for it is basically a guy coming home from work and sitting down in front of um, the video app Knickknack, which is basically TikTok but, um, for a non-copyright version of TikTok. But um, 
it's basically him uh basically it's on autoplay and instead of to be continued or like the end at the bottom it says like like netflix it's going to say like next episode then it'll cut right. back to him shuffling through to the next one maybe some more story and it'll just keep leaping into all these short stories and then there is a thing that ties all together at the end which which i won't divulge but uh, i thought that's quite a nice way of just how we i mean i don't have tiktok because it sounds like a nightmare in terms of my friends basically tell me how addictive they get to it because it just keeps on throwing videos at you until you stop. Right. And they're so short that it makes it easy to just sit there. So I thought that's just such a great analogy for like this anthology. You're just sitting, flicking through constantly all these start stories. So um, yeah, we'll see if that, see how that all works. But I think I thought that was quite a nice, just yeah, it. it's quite satirical, right? It's It's not, it's set in cyberpunk, but it very much is about, political things and societal mm-hmm. things today you know the whole the whole the whole uh the whole framework of the first arc is about healthcare inequality how right. you know if you don't have insurance if you don't have money and you get sick you're what can you do right it's it's a scary thing and we we have free healthcare here in the uk but um the government for years has been sort of taking money away from it to make it underperform basically they're trying to sell it to like an american company and make make us all pay for healthcare now which is kind of scary because i'm asthmatic you know i i, I'm, I have no. to take medication all the time and um money wise that's quite scary right if i don't have the, the insured proper insurance like that's terrifying to me and that's basically where cultopia came from the whole idea um if you can't afford this and you've got a sick family member what sort of lengths would a person go to to make the money to make them at ease you know like it's sure. yeah everything <laughs> it is an interesting plight that you you put your protagonist into where he he has to really abandon everyone else's expectations of him to do the thing that he feels is the right thing to do even though everybody around him is angry at him for making these choices yeah but he he doesn't have any sort of choice in his mind to go oh well Nope. This is the this is the solution for me. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's I, I thought that's a great setup for for the whole story. But it's not one also where you're sort of hammering this sort of thing over and over again. It, it there's your premise, there's your setup. You know, you know the the environment is this Neo Tokyo and the you know Section K, right? Section K, yeah, sector. like Sector Sector K, yeah. And like I mean, you have all these those elements are the playground, you know, that this sort of, you know, story takes place within. Yeah. Yeah. I always prefer stories that are a bit more nuanced with their message though, because it's, it's, it becomes quite ham fisted, right? If it's, if it's like expositioning, Oh, the world is bad. And this is why, you know, we should change our lives. And, we sure. we know, we get it. <laughs> like it's we live this stuff every day. You don't need to beat us around the head with it. But I think um the message can be a bit more powerful if it's told in just a natural way, right? If it's if it's not shoved down your throat, so to speak, you know. Um, yeah. But that that's why I mean I I love a lot of I mean I mean Britain does satire like no other country, right? We um, there's so many great comedy shows that um that do this things like the thick of it um the writer of the thick of it went on to do succession which of course is a lot of satire uh in it as well so um i'm a big fan of that kind of style um yeah so yeah we we i mean i never really wrote anything that i tried to be satir- satirical or funny with before Kiltopia. so i had to really learn how to 
try and do it and hopefully i pulled it off but um um you're still yeah. doing it so i guess you're it's working right oh yeah true <laughs> yeah <laughs> that line of like like no other job in the world but the arts is every single thing you do is another job application and if you don't do it well you're not hired so. yeah yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. I suppose like it, it's it's even doubly so if you're kickstarting stuff, right? Because if you don't get, if your pitch isn't right, you don't get the money to make the thing happen. It's it's, I mean, we so I think we've done now sixteen kickstarters or fifteen. I can't remember exactly, but um, I still get nervous every, before every single one because, yeah. especially last year, because towards the end of last year. Um, I saw a lot of um, people saying they were going to abandon Kickstarter, one, because of their blockchain announcement, which I don't think they're doing anymore. Um, and two, just because um, we're, you know, the UK and other parts of the world are in a recession right now, right? It's Sure. It, it, the cost of living is getting really expensive and people were, you know, saying on, on Twitter and stuff, you know, I'm, I can't back as many Kickstarters as I used to. There's not enough money to go around as, as, as there was, mm-hmm. I once was. So, um on a few campaigns last year, I noticeably saw a lot of people dropping off and people getting in touch saying, it looks great, but I'm going to have to buy it post-launch when I've got money because I don't have money right now. And um, So I think that pitch, your, that job application you were talking about, needs to be even stronger now to earn the money, limited amount of money that people have now to stand out you know, from the pack yep. and stuff. I think that, that comes with a bit more pressure, I think, for creators, definitely. I mean, how do you, like, I mean, you're, you're, identifying that like how do you do you have thoughts in your mind and steps so like okay how do i not get caught up in the negative side of that like how do you make that come true well i think so far the the campaign that it hit most was for a comic called bpm um it's the second issue so i think okay second mm-hmm. issue we're gonna get the same, if not more, people backing us who came from the first one. It actually was less. And I was asking around, you know, people like, do, do, do people not like the first one? Or they, they seem to like it. Why aren't they coming back? And it was around about that time, other creators were just saying, no, I, I'm feeling it right now too. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on my third or fourth issue. I've, I've almost finished my arc and people should be backing this, but they're not. And I think it was, I suppose it was somewhat comforting to know that it wasn't just me. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a downer that this is happening at all, right? That we're all in this situation where money's so tight. And um, But I guess the big takeaway from that was to perhaps not be so complacent, to not assume that just because it's the second issue, people will come back. It's like, right. so I think the third issue, we're going to think more about more unique rewards, actually doing a bit more marketing. Uh, I, I'm quite good at my marketing anyway. I, I come from a marketing background too. Uh, mm-hmm. After games journalism, that's what I kind of went into. But um, I just think I'm going to just have to hit it even harder now, I think, um, and just be be more loud about, hey, this is coming, check it out, you know, sign up, for it, sign up. Um, newsletters are one of the best tools, I think, for that, because I, I started a news, newsletter a few years ago, but I stupidly wasn't taking people's email addresses from Kickstarter. Um, oh, no. Obviously, you have to do that with their consent, right? So... Um, now, every time I do a survey, I always ask, would you like to sign up to my newsletter? It's not a big thing to do, right? But it actually gives you a direct link to those people's inboxes, right? To mm-hmm. say, hey, my new comic's coming soon. 
this is a heads up about it. Here's the link to sign up. And, you know, when I look at my referrals on Kickstarter, yeah, people are clicking through for the newsletter. So it's like, it does work. Um, and every campaign we do, we get more and more people added to that list and it's just growing and growing. So I think Good. things like that, Patreon, we tried a Patreon for uh, a few of our comics, but um um, I think being like print books that don't come out that regularly, you don't have enough content to justify a monthly membership. Sure. I, I find that really difficult. So we, we tried it, but we, we closed it. But I think we might come back to it in the future. Um, you never know. But I think it's just, yeah, I mean, for new creators, I, I see a lot of people, you know, a, a lot of people ask me, you know, over direct messages or at Comic-Con tables, um, I've got a Kickstarter coming up. How do I get people to know about it my my kickstarter went live a few days ago and it's not nothing's really happening can you help me out and of course i'll always take time to help people because you know people help me all the time so why not help them right Um, it makes sense but it's the usual things you know it's social media accounts on every platform um try some paid ads they don't always work it's it's, unless you're putting a lot of money into paid advertising it's the level of success is you know kind of 50 50 yeah yeah Um, but and just uh putting out content patreon things like that so but the biggest problem of all that stuff right this stuff sounds quite obvious but it's taking the time to manage all that and be active on all those platforms while still making Mm. the comic Right. That's it's even for me the cognitive load of all that work is just it, I really struggle with it, especially when Twitter started to you know when Elon Musk took over Twitter, people were moving to Hive and Mastodon and I thought oh god sure. not another two yeah two, two more platforms I have to start over on you know and it's um, yeah but it's it's worth it um, sometimes you just have to knuckle down and do it but I I empathize with anyone who finds it too hard work because it's it is hard work <laughs> oh sure and, and i mean the, and the crazy thing is that you know twitter didn't blow up and now we have not one but three yeah because yeah. they've added two you know so we're it, it is as a result like two completely obscure you know social media platforms now have name recognition and enough people so you go oh, okay guess i'll go pay attention to those people too yeah it's 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 i suppose it's saturated the market a bit more right when you think about it sure. like, hey, there's three of them now and um they're both they're both good platforms in their own way but i just i just don't have the energy <laughs> i don't know you know it's I, difficult do you, i don't know if you know who jamie jones is he uh does a comic book uh called the baboon and he's done a like seven or eight successful Kickstarters and he transitioned to a different uh, crowdfunding platform last year. And he's like, I've, I've never had to work so hard in my life because getting like people know what Kickstarter is. So at least you've got that brand recognition to go, Oh, I'll just go there and click on the thing versus wait, what is that called again? And mm-hmm. to be completely honest and Jamie, if you're listening, you're going to laugh, but I don't even remember the name of the platform anymore. Like I forgot the name of the platform and I talked to him for hours on this subject. So. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I can, I've got an anecdote about that actually. And it's true. I mean, it's so the, there's two platforms that actually I I've spoken with the people behind them and, and they're really nice people. The platforms are great, to be honest. They have, they have strengths that Kickstarter doesn't, but they also have some weaknesses that Kickstarter 
has positives, right? So uh, one of them is Zoop, and the other one is Crowdfunder. Um, That's it. Crowdfunder. That's the other one. Yeah. They're both great. That's the thing. They're both both fine. Um, But you hit the nail on the head. It's to say to my established audience who has followed me since my first comic was on Kickstarter in 2015, hey, I'm moving over here now. You have to follow me here. I that that fills me with a lot of fear. Now a lot of them will probably do it, but mm. you're going to get some drop off, right? It's just inevitable that you you will sure. not get everyone. Um, so, and I'm kind of glad that Kickstarter didn't follow through with whatever it was planning. Uh, that was all the the old CEO's plan. He's gone now, so that they've abandoned all that, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, for a moment there, it looked like we're going to have to move because. You know, I, I am anti-crypto. I don't, you know, no, no, no disrespect to anyone who enjoys it. That's, you know, I'm right. Everyone has their thing. It's, I, I get it. Uh, but for me personally, not a fan of it. You know, um, so yeah, it was looking like we're gonna have to start over. And for me, it was like, and I saw a lot of creators, at, at indie creators, saying, "I might be done now because I'm so tired with having to keep up with all these platforms and sites." And right, uh, I get it. I completely empathize. <laughs> but never say never, though. Um, you know, if it's a smaller vanity project or something, I might chuck it on one of the other platforms to see. But it's something like uh, Killtopia. You know, it's a, quite an expensive production. We need we need the money, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm going to stick with Kickstarter for now, I think. Well, yeah, it's – I mean, listen, it's it's the 800-pound gorilla. So, I mean, it, it definitely gets all the attention it wants. Yeah, I mean, listen, Brandon Sanderson's performance last year alone shows how powerful that is. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the thing. And and like, I the thing is, for all the for all that Kickstarter is the biggest one, there's so many things that other platforms do way better. Like they they do need like to update the platform quite badly in I, a few ways. I think. I yeah, I I have I have a very close friend who's their business runs on Kickstarter. They do all their product launches and he's like, I mean, he's like, I don't know if they're ever going to change. They don't listen to us. You know, and we make, we, we make millions of dollars a year on Kickstarter and I don't know if they're ever going to listen to us. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing. So I, I use a, a platform called backer kit, which I think a lot of people assume is yep. a scam. Um, so they, cause they cold email people, which isn't the best look, but they're actually legitimate. I've used them for, for fulfillment and stuff. Uh, not fulfillment uh, as in shipping things out, but for like their reports, their backer reports are way right. better than Kickstarter's. And uh, I'm not trying to plug for them, but I'll explain why I'm saying this in a minute. Um, after the, you know, the surveys you get from Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Backer send out surveys, but the surveys have images, right? So if you're, if you're offering, oh, you, you can choose a print with your comic, but here, and we have a range of 20 prints you can choose from. On Kickstarter, you can't include images, so they can't see which one they're choosing. They have to go like maybe to a different page to have a look and then come back, which isn't a good user experience. But backer kit, you can say, I want this one, and I can see it because I'm, you know, I, it's just a more mm-hmm. visual survey. Um, that if, if Kickstarter fixed that one thing, I wouldn't use backer kit, I would just stick on Kickstarter. Um, right. Plus, Backerkit lets you like um, the, the add-ons are great. Like the add-on shop, you can put so much more stuff on there with images again, so people can see what they're buying. Um, and you can take uh, pre-orders after the campaign's even finished. So if people were late to the campaign, and but anyway, so if Kickstarter fixed yeah. those things, and, and there's so many other things that if they just fixed them, 
<laughs> sure. Their lives would be so much easier, but they don't have to because they know that they're the biggest game in town, right? So, right. I mean, they they can maximize their profit without having to do as much R and D. It was like it was a thing that you know we were talking at the beginning about how hard it was getting people to come onto the podcast with the video feed because they didn't understand how to do that, and then you know Zoom comes into the into the picture, and everyone everybody swarmed to zoom i mean there were like five or six contenders out there and then zoom wins and i remember thinking like in 2020 going they better be chucking so much money into r&d because the experience sucks and as a as a business tool it's no good it's just we're able to look at each other and hear each other <laughs> job done but they need to they need to dump all this one because somebody is going to figure out the better interface and they're going to be worthless. Oh, totally. That's yeah. I, yeah. I stopped using it. I, I mean, I actually use Google meets, um, right. Tend to use that now. Um, just because mm-hmm. it's integrated with everything else. You don't have to pay a subscription. It's, it just makes so much sense. Cause I think zoom, you could only use it for like 40 minutes and then you have to pay or you, <laughs> yeah, right. Something. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's it's. I just think so. Kickstarter send the same survey out after every campaign, and uh, I think it's like every quarter I get because I'm a. I don't know what they call it, like a super creator or something. Because I think you after are you, super Dave. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think it's like after ten campaigns or something, you start getting these more advanced surveys which ask more questions, and apparently they do listen to you because you've done a lot of campaigns. And it's like no, you, you don't, because <laughs> every yeah. every survey that comes out. And I know other people do this too. They ask, please include images with the add-ons. They still yeah. haven't done it. Y- years later, they still haven't done it. So it's like, yeah. oh well. <laughs> Not to be that guy, but they're sending that more detailed survey to these people because what they're trying to do is they're trying to ensure more trust into the relationship. Yeah. So if we ask, if we give you more things to talk about, you're going to feel that, oh, I have actual skin in the game here. But <laughs> Totally. Yeah, totally. It's it's so transparent, isn't it? Like, but hey, it's it's probably working. <laughs> Listen, all they have to do is just purchase backer kit and integrate it into their system and they will be seventy to eighty percent there. Yeah. <laughs> they could probably afford it too, let's be honest. <laughs> I would th- I would hope they could afford it at this point. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, and it's you know, it's interesting. I mean, it's cool the whole you know, crowdfunding comic book world. I, I it is interesting when you're saying about how economics are now sort of chipping back into it because, you know, you end up buying like a $16 comic book. Like I just bought a comic book and it cost me 16 bucks and you go, ah, whatever. It's my buddy's comic book. I'll spend the money, you know? And, and so, you know, then you look back and you're like, you're, you're like, I bought 40 $16 comic books last year. Like, <laughs> yeah. let me think about this one, you know? It's, it's that a, buy it now, pay for it later mentality, right? You think, oh, you know, this campaign's got 30 days left. It's, it's, you know, that's for future me to pay for and worry about. But then, sure. yeah, you do that 40 times every year and you spend a lot of money, right? Especially with post because, um, and yeah. this isn't, this isn't a dig at, um, US creators because I, I, I get it the other way, right? Um, single comic books, you know, I, I'll maybe get one from a US Kickstarter backer, uh, creator, sorry. And, uh, it, you know, it maybe costs $5 or something, just a 22-page comic, you know, a small floppy. Sure. And then the postage is like another $15 or something. And right. 
I, this isn't a dig, I promise. This because people that that is how much it costs. It's getting wild, but now it's starting to get that way the other way. So for me to send stuff now to the states, I'm starting to get the same thing. People going, "Why are you charging so much?" I'm like, "That's how much it costs now." <laughs> you know, um, ever since Brexit nope. happened as well, right here in the UK, which is the dumbest thing this country's ever done. Um, we have to pay so much more now to ship stuff. We have to do so much more paperwork for customs, and it's like. It makes a difficult the difficult job of fulfillment even harder. Um, so, two yeah. questions. I have two two really important questions. First one I'll start off is the bigger one. Is it the dumbest thing your country's ever done? I mean, listen, we are. <laughs> these countries have been around for a long time, Dave. They've made some big mistakes. Um, but <laughs> in, my, in my lifetime, I'll put an asterisk. Okay, that. in your lifetime, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Because I can cite a lot of problems of our country and you know, and everything everyone's yelling about right now is not the biggest problems we've had. Um, okay. The other the, the serious question is, on the fulfillment aspect, is there any avenue for like creators in America to have things printed in the UK and distributed, you know, from a, a printer's location there and vice versa are there printers in the u.s you could just send the digital file to and then they print the things out and fulfill for you would that be i believe it does exist yeah there's certainly a a company in in england um it's just an small independent it's basically like one guy doing it but he he will uh charge for um package uh, packing and stuff like that i don't Mm -hmm. think he does the printing but um there's nothing to say you couldn't, for example, find a printing company in the UK. But there's a few good ones as well um, who are reasonably priced. Uh, they could probably send it to that guy, for example, and he could pack it up and ship it out for you. Right. Um, vice versa. And I know that I know that some UK comic creators, when they do like uh, New York Comic Con or San Diego, for example, they do that. Rather than chuck all their comics on a boat and send them across um, or, you know, by air, air, you know, by freight or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they'll get a print run done in a printing company near, you know, in New York or whatever. And then, then they'll get them delivered to the con on the day of them arriving. So that their freshly printed books are there. Um, so I know people that have done that. So it, it's an avenue for sure. Yeah. Um, it's something I want to try again, again, probably with a smaller book first to see how it goes, you know? Um, but it's something because I would love to do like New York, but Comic Con, I would love to put in for it. But that's the one aspect of it that really puts me off is that we don't have my publisher doesn't have a presence in the states. But mm-hmm. is there a company we could find that could do just what I've explained there uh, for yeah. us? Maybe there is, you know. Oh, um, I'm sure. Yeah, but I think it's possible, and I know that certainly the guy in England um, who, who was doing it, I forget his name actually, I think it's Aaron uh, something, I'll, I'll, it'll come to me later I'm sure um, he does get a lot of business now you know, people who just don't want to have to deal with their packaging and all that stuff which yeah. I completely understand because it sucks um, yeah. I'll caveat that because that's a bit mean, I mean it's nice though to see when you're packing up, you see like people from all around, you know, the addresses, the places you're sending these things to. It kind of hits home like, wow, people in these countries are reading my stuff. That's cool. Um, but it, let's be honest, it's hard work. It's really hard. Oh, work. It's, 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 I mean, crowd, crowd, crowdfunding and fulfilling a comic book is a lot of work. And I tip my hat to everyone who does it because, you know, I, I've done one Kickstarter as a, you know, as on a comic book level. It, it was no fun. And, you know, and I had a guy doing fulfillment for us. Like one of the guys in the book was like, I'll handle all the fulfillment. I'm like, bless you. 
<laughs> that's like, that's like that friend's a keeper. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, comics, because I've really honestly I don't know much. All right, I okay, I have video game questions. All right, since I don't know anything about video games, what was the first fighting game? The first fighting game was called, well, the, uh, specifically the side-scrolling beat-em-up like Streets of Rage was Kung Fu, uh, Kung Fu Master, rather, uh, 1983 um, by a company called Irem, who also did Ninja Baseball Batman. So there's a weird loop. Um, it came out on the NES as Kung Fu, and it's basically, have you ever seen the Jackie Chan film, uh, uh, Wheels on Meals? Yeah. So it was originally a movie tie-in. It was oh. supposed to be like a retelling of that, but for whatever reason, they didn't get the license finalized in the end, so it ended up just being a completely separate thing. Um, so it, it's basically... Um, it pulls a bit as well from Game of Death, the Bruce Lee movie, because you're in a big tower, and there's like a Kung Fu master on each floor, and you have to fight your way through bad guys and go up the floor. And once you reach the top and kill the final boss, it just loops back around again. Um but it's it's great fun. It's really good fun, and it, it started that whole genre pretty much. Well, um, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It, it is that Bruce Lee movie, which is the foundation of how many video games? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every, when you think about that progression in that movie. Each floor is like a level in a game, right? With a boss, and for sure. I mean, and the term "big boss." I mean, it's the movie. It's the character. It, it is all the same thing. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And it's an interesting genre as well because it, it kind of um it had its heyday in the nineties. I'd say that's probably its peak. You know, that that's when you had games like uh The Simpsons Arcade, Ninja Turtles Arcade. Although that was eighty nine, that wasn't the nineties, that was just, just before the nineties. Um but you had uh what else? Alien vs. Predator, Final uh Final Fight, uh two and three came out that decade. Um got so many other ones. But then in the twenty tens, when three D gaming started to come back into things it's, it really hit a dip. It really crashed that whole genre because it doesn't work that well in 3D. You had wow. games like Fighting Force and Die Hard Arcade, which I personally love, but it didn't feel quite right. It didn't really work. You know, the camera technology wasn't quite there in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but now, um, around about the time I started writing the book, so I, I it took me a long, it took me like two years to write it. it um, and it was like, Around about 2019, 2020, the genre just exploded again, all thanks to Streets of Rage 4, which is like the big return of like the big, the biggest game in that franchise, right? That that genre. Streets of Rage 4 comes out and all of a sudden, um, I'm thinking about doing a second edition of the book already because there's so many games now that are coming out in that genre because of Streets of Rage 4. Like it's back in such a big way. There's almost too many to keep up with now. <laughs> um, it's just nice to see that it's kind of back and it's kind of revived. And yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice story. You know, like the there's a bit of a dip in the middle and it just comes back. And it's a nice, nice note to end the book on. <laughs> well, it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think every media has, you know, genres within it, which you know, ebb and flow. I mean, the, the, the cowboy movie, you know, it went away and it comes back. The gangster movie goes away. It comes back like that. That is the way things happen. So why wouldn't it happen in the video game market? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's very cyclical as, as an industry. Um, the running gun book that I'm doing just now, I, I don't, I don't think it's got the same trajectory. They've always kind of been there. They've never right. kind of went away completely. I'd say it's probably, it hasn't. It's not seeing a, as big a boom as the beat 'em ups are right now. But like you say, it'll happen. It's a matter of time before yeah. it happens for sure. Yeah. Was, I mean, once again, 
don't know anything about video games, so please. That's okay. <laughs> um, was Doom was Doom like the first of those? It wasn't the, the first running gun. So running gun games are te- typically 2D or, or, or they're viewed from oh, above okay. looking down on the characters. Doom was the first first-person shooter. Well, it wasn't, oh, okay. it wasn't the first. It was um, the first one was the first proper one was a uh, Return to Castle Wolfenstein by Ed Software. Oh. Who went on to make Doom. So Doom was like their second game uh, in that genre, and that but that was the one that popularized the whole thing from that point onward. Uh, it was the first game that had online deathmatch. Uh, and you think about how many games now, like Call of Duty, the online mode is what everyone buys that game for, pretty much. Right. Uh, the whole concept of the death, the online deathmatch was started in Doom. So I remember seeing some um, old articles. I think I was researching this for an article, um, but old articles from the 90s about people who were supposed to be working, you know, on their 56K modem, secretly playing Doom with their colleagues and stuff, you know, and just <laughs> uh, there was this growing concern about the amount of like uh, working hours that were being lost because people were playing this new violent online shooter game instead of doing their job. And, it's just this. It's just it's typical hysteria of the game industry. You know, something new comes along, sure. like violence in games. You know, which Doom helped per- perpetuate as well. But um, yeah, I mean, my publisher actually uh, for also doing a book just now on first person shooters. So it is about that. It's basically the whole history of from Doom to to present day. So um, yeah, it's a great genre. Yeah, it's there's so oh, much okay. cool stuff. Yeah. So Run and Gun would be, I, I'm thinking like, is that like Spy Hunter, like those kinds of games, like where you're driving a car or or is it is it specifically has to be a person running in with a gun? Yeah, specifically on foot, because when it's a vehicle, it's called a shoot-em-up. This is where it gets confusing and a bit tenuous. So running I, 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 I like to learn. Yeah, running gun games are always on foot. Uh, shoot-em-ups are like space shooters, like Galaxian or, or Space Invaders would be a shoot a shoot 'em up, um, or Spy Hunter because you're in a vehicle. Um, right. would be a shoot 'em up. Uh, but right, yeah, running gun games are always on foot, either 2D from the side or top down, looking down on the character from above. Like the Inanna Jones video game, was that like a running gun? Um, I suppose you could say elements of it are because he has he has a pistol, right? You can take people out sure. with it and stuff like that. Yeah, it okay. could be. Yeah, there's a few games in the book that actually blur the lines a little bit. There's a few that um, perhaps the character has a sword rather than a gun, but there are some elements of that genre in there. Um, so more so than side scrolling beat em ups, running guns have a lot more of a gray area in the middle about what they actually are. Um, okay. So there's a few games that I think some readers might be like, "Why is this in here?" But I always explain, "Okay, this is in here. I know what you're going to say. It's in here because of this." So hopefully. Right. Hopefully people will forgive me for that. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm I'm fascinated by I, I I have more of a a bystander relationship with video games. Like I, I actually used to it's funny when people say like, you know, the whole thing with Twitch, like no one would have conceived that people would have sat and watched other people play video games. But I disagree because I used to sit for hours watching my friends play video games. Yeah, I, I I had no interest or aptitude for playing them, but I would be like, go over there, do this, you know, because that was exciting. Well, that's kind of like um, my my wife really likes horror video games, but doesn't like to play them because I I understand it though because you're kind of in control and it's actually like much more immersive and a bit more like you're on edge all the time. But yeah, she loves watching me play them. Um, the thing with Twitch as well, I mean, there, there's a YouTuber. This is another weird. Uh, cycle roundabout way that we've roundabout roundabout thing we've spoken about so probably the first 
video game YouTuber that everyone sort of realized was called the Angry Video Game Nerd. And he started in like 2005 or six. Um, and he did like, you know, shot on cam- cameras. He's a filmmaker. Uh, okay. You know, that's what he does. But he, so he had like decent production value. It was just him sitting down playing games. And he was playing a character, of course. He is, he, he's not really an angry guy, but he's like shouting at the screen every time he dies. He gets he gets angry. Um, yeah. That, a lot of people consider him to be the first version of kind of what Twitch is now. You know, we were watching someone play and critique a game. Yeah. He's also how I find out about Ninja Baseball Batman. <laughs> so he did a video, he stumbled across it and just, he just loved the name of the game. So did a video mm-hmm. about it. That's how I first found it. And now we're writing the official comic book for it. And it's just weird that we've, yeah, it's, it's strange, but it is a small world. I mean, th- this whole crazy yeah. internet makes it such a small space where, we're all just bumping into each other going, Oh, Oh, you're into that thing too. Okay, cool. I like that. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, like, that's a big part of Kiltopia as well, but like pockets of fandoms and how, mm-hmm. um, you know, a big, a big, a big part of the message is like the world is crap. We have it within our gifts to fix it. If we could just stop fighting over small things, like who's better Marvel or DC, you know, we're all friends. Let's stop getting so annoyed at each other over trivial little things. I mean trivial. I mean people are people are passionate about stuff, so that's not trivial. Sure. But I mean, why fall out with people over it? You know, it's funny because if the if the medium is comic books, you then have to go to the next level, which is Marvel or DC, and then you have to have a fight. Versus going like, well, we both love comic books, so let's just stick. You know, we'd be okay there. Yeah, yeah, you know, have a discussion, right? But don't, don't get, I mean, because you see it online, you get people getting really annoyed and upset with each other just because they, I mean, games are the same, right? PlayStation versus Xbox. But yeah, that's a big point of the comic. Let's just stop fighting about silly stuff like that and let's help make the world better and be nicer to each other. Like it's, yeah. Because, you know, once we do that, you know, we, once we do that, we set our differences aside. We can do amazing things, right? It's, we've seen it. It's it's just, only we could do that more often. <laughs> sure. And your character Stiletto, that was like, that's kind of her arc is that putting differences aside, which I think that was really that message. Yeah. Cause I guess like I didn't have Elon Musk in mind when I wrote the comic. I don't care about the guy to be honest, but I guess retroactively since the Twitter thing, you know, you can kind of see that she's the antithesis of that, giving away her wealth to help people Right. And stop being such an antagonist online and just being like a decent person. Like it's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's quite a nice arc for her. That, that isn't, that wasn't originally where we were going to take that character, but it's just naturally how, cause I, I write, I write my issues like issue to issue. I'm really bad for like, like I know, I know what the ending's going to be right. And what this sort of broad trajectory sure. is going to be. But um, there's a lot of filling in the blanks for me, probably more than there should be. <laughs> um, but Oh, that's cool. So let's 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 dig into that because that that to me is kind of an interesting process. And I, it's funny you said it because I think that's kind of what I picked up on reading your books, thinking like I kind of feel like he's riffing and then he's building. Yeah, hmm. for sure. So like I, I think that the I, I like to write in the moment, as in I want to take say something about what's actually happening at the time I'm writing it. Um, that's why the fourth book has a lot of stuff about protest and there's like people marching on the streets and things like that. This was when things were happening over in the States. There's a lot of protest sure. and, and in the UK as well, there's people, you know, striking for fair pay for nurses, you know, really good causes and stuff. Um, but being sort of demonized is like, Oh, they're being disruptive. It's like, yeah, but they're doing it for a good reason. You know, it's like, you know, 
help each other. <laughs> um, but I, I like to kind of write kind of, and I'm always playing video games. Like video games are where I get most of my inspiration from. When I'm writing a new comic, I actually don't read a lot of other comics because I don't want them to influence me too much, like the way I'm writing and stuff like that. So it's more video games is where I get more of my thematic sort of uh, inspiration from, you know. Um, but yeah, things in the news. I mean, my my new comic that I'm writing, it's called Phantoms. Um, it's We're probably going to announce it towards the end of the year, but that is all about, um, there's a lot of like mental health stuff in there. Yeah, uh, and stuff about the gig economy. So, one the main character basically is a, is a work for hire cop who gets bonuses for doing things quickly, like speedy deliveries from Uber Eats and like Deliveroo and stuff like that. Um, and just how she's barely scraping by, so she has to kill more bounties to get money and um, things like that. So that was very much derived from in the UK things like zero zero hour contracts. You just basically you live for tips and you know, you're driving around town delivering burgers to people who don't appreciate you for shit money. And it's, yeah. And yeah, a lot of mental health stuff as well. It's kind of a cyberpunk horror book where people can get their minds hijacked so they can see like their worst fears come to life and things like that. And there's kind of like a cyber terrorist who's like doing this, like taking over people's bodies and their minds. And um, I don't want to get too much away, but it's, yeah. it's all, all stems from mental health kind of stuff. So I touch on a lot of that stuff that I've dealt with as well. So um but yeah, I I kind of have I always have a broad arc, but quite a lot of it I just do issue to issue. Sure. Which... How do you start it then? Like I mean, like because I, I, like for me, when I write, I mean there is no sort of specific starting point. Like I don't like I like I have to have a character or I can't do anything with all these other ideas. Like I have to like you know everything has its own sort of entry point. But like when you have your your setting and your character do you do you typically have a plot or do you have a conclusion like how do you how do you start off with your stories so for me it usually starts with the world um because again being a game fan i think the best video game worlds are the ones that feel like characters themselves you know mm-hmm. they, they're kind of lived in places they have like a tangible atmosphere they feel like real places and the people the characters you meet within these game worlds feel like they've they actually live in it and they you know they feel part of it so we're talking about games like Bioshock. There's a with the underwater city of Rapture, which is like I think a lot of people's go to when it, when they talk about video game worlds as characters. It just feels like such a lived in place. So I, I kind of start off by thinking, okay, and sometimes I'll write this down as like a sort of like style uh, lore guide or you know some notes. I'll, I'll say, okay, what what is this world? What are the problems it's facing? Me being a dystopian guy, like in dystopian fiction. Sure. I always think, well, what's the big threat or what is the big thing that's like governing this world? Um, and then I'll, I'll think of just characters. And then I always have the beginning sort of some middle beats and then an ending in mind. Um, the ending is important to have because that's kind of your North Star, right? It's what you're always yeah. writing in service of. Um, and then I'll just think, okay, I'll think of like a few big events per issue. Okay, this has to happen. So this has to happen. And then an issue two will pick up here. You know, it's it's just a few main beats, and that's how I work out how many issues I'm probably going to aim for. That can change, of course. Like Ninja Baseball uh, Spirits started out as four issues, but now it's five because we felt we could flesh things out a bit more. Um, but yeah, and then then I'll just start filling it in from there. Really, I mean, there's some ideas that it, <laughs> this is where it can get a bit scattershot. Where I finished issue one of Phantoms. I'm now thinking about the second one, but I'm already getting ideas for three and four. So it's not a straight track. You know, it's not like I'm just going to go through in one go. Um, so 
I, I, I don't know. I'd probably say to people, don't follow that method because it's really yeah. loose. And but it, it works for me, right? It it always works out in the end. It's uh, it takes a bit of like sometimes I'll box myself into a narrative corner, especially when I'm getting towards the end of an issue where I'm like, okay. I've only got 10 more pages of the script left, ideally, but I've got 20 pages worth of stuff I need to cram in there. Do I move stuff to another issue or just kill that, you know, you know that phrase, kill your, was yeah. it kill your darlings or whatever? Darlings, yeah. Just, just, just get rid of those ideas. Don't be precious about them and just try and fit it in. Um, so there are a lot of moving parts in my scripts for sure. I mean, Killtopia 5 has some concepts from earlier issues that we didn't use, but we thought they felt better at that point, you know, um, but yeah. So when you talk, when, when I say I've got a method to my writing, it's not really a method. <laughs> it's um, um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of thinking on, on my feet, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's the, the terms of discovery writer and, you know, outlining writing, there's two very, you know, defined camps. It's always kind of a blend of the two, you know, you sort of have to have, like, you can't just, start and have no idea where you're going to go. I mean, you, you have to kind of have some sort of ideas of where you might want to end up. Uh, you may not end up there. You might, you might go somewhere else, but uh, it, it's just kind of, a, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a guessing game. Do you have all your characters figured out when you're walking into it? Because you did introduce new characters sort of as the, the issues progress in Killtopia. Yeah, mostly. So the core cast are always are always there at the beginning. Yeah, because um, certainly with Killtopia, like you know, Crash, Shinji, Omi, and Stiletto were like locked in from the start. Like I kind of knew who they were and, and what sort of journey they were going to go on. Um, broadly, you know, I didn't know again. I didn't know all the plot points, but I knew like I knew that Stiletto would sort of you know, not be so greedy and not be so focused on wealth and start to like actually understand people better and, um, and all that sort of stuff. So, and that Shinji would become a bit more of a, he wasn't so selfish just thinking about him and his sister. He would actually start thinking about how he can influence and, and save the whole city and become a bit of a hero. Um, yeah, but the other characters like, so issue three and four, uh, issue four introduces someone called Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. uh, and she is, uh, I, can, I can, this is a bit of a reveal, but she's the main character of the new car- new comic I'm writing, Phantoms. So uh-huh. I knew I wanted to like establish a new character towards the end of Cotopia that could carry the torch kind of thing. Um, so it's a bit of a shared universe kind of thing. You know, we have like other stories that are going to be around Kiltopia in the same world. Um, but I knew I wanted to just sort of start to establish a new character so they could mm-hmm. continue on. Um the, the, the main villain, actually, from the very start, uh, Saito, the, the businessman, he was going to be the villain all the way through. But then right. I just got a better idea. And so I, I killed him <laughs> off. It's a bit of a spoiler, but I, I killed him off in issue three. I just thought, yeah, he's dead weight now. Just get rid of him. Yeah. But I also thought, like, how can his death, um, his death introduces Stiletto's mother? She, right. She's the one that kills him. And I thought, but I, I thought I couldn't just have his death mean nothing. And mm-hmm. I knew that her, her mum, her mother was going to come into it eventually. So I thought, oh, she could be the one that does it and that introduces her. So it all works out in the end. I, I have to tell myself that all the time, like when I'm stressed out about these like plot problems that I'm having, it's all going to work out in the end. <laughs> Just <laughs> trust the process. Well, so, okay, so one thing, I guess you had different page, there are different page counts, right? For Killtopia one, two, three, like they're different yeah. overall page counts. So, are you going into it like, or, or, or like, is the campaign sort of like, hey, if we reach this point, we add more pages to the book? Like, how do you? Uh... <laughs> 
So this is where, like, me and my publisher are, like, the guy that runs my publishing house, he's actually like, a, good, a really good friend of mine. But sometimes he hates me when he, when he says, okay, so how much is this new script? How many pages? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's like 55 when the previous one was, like, 56 or something. He's like, why are they always so long? And I'm just like, right. I well, there's two reasons. One, um, we can only put out one Killtopia a year just because of the size of it, right? And we have all these other right. things doing as well. I don't want someone to buy a 22-page floppy from me, read it in five minutes, and go, I have to wait a year for the next one. A whole year, right? right. So that's just that's why I started off from Killtopia 1. And thankfully, my publisher was okay with it. I said, look, I want to give people more value. I want to tell a more, a more detailed story. Um, it's not that I can't write short form. I can, but I, I just... A lot of it, a lot of it is me kind of just um, freestyling as well. I'll just write. Yeah. So sometimes when I write scripts, I sometimes will do scenes based on dialogue alone. Like I know these two characters have to have a specific conversation or something specific sure. has to happen in the story to advance. Sometimes I'll just write the dialogue and I'll just do it as if these people are naturally having a conversation. Somebody will say something, they'll respond naturally. They'll ask this person will ask a question, they'll give an answer, and I, I sort of like. I trim. I basically write it all out how it makes sense to me in my head. Then I'll start to condense things down to maybe fifty odd pages or something like that. Um, again, it's not really a method. It's just what feels right. You know, um, if it feels right for the story for me, I'll, I'll do it. And I suppose yeah. that's part of the, part of the gift of being independent. Um, again, we're published, but they're very happy for me to just be independent and tell the kind of story I want to tell. And um, But if it was that, you know, this is why I, I joke with my friends about if I did land the publishing deal or a gig working with like Marvel or something, I would find it so hard to consistently churn sure. out. Not churn out, but the same page length every issue. Like I, I yep. would struggle with that, I think. Because um, my, my publisher often tells me as well, it's like, your ideas are good, but they're all they always start off way too big you want to tell this big epic thing right from the start but you need to maybe be a bit more laser focused on kind of like the most important aspects and maybe you can maybe you can fit these other things in but just he's got a point he does have a point because it's it's a lot of my time up front on comic new comics is just thinking of the big picture and then just trying to boil it down um you know what it might be dave is there's this you mentioned that you tried novel writing and i think there's a lot of intention when you sit down to write a story. It is this, okay, well, let me grab everything and put everything in here. But comics, especially like a miniseries, even though done over the course of, you know, five years, it isn't a novel. You know, it's it's a novella. And you're telling that kind of length of a story. You're telling a movie. You know, you're telling a movie in this this kind of period of time. So it is that kind of confusion where you go, oh, okay, let me put, you know, okay, it's going to be this huge thing and the world's going to, you know, and it's like, but sometimes you could just go like, you know what? I don't need this part and I don't need that part. I just need this part that is the story. Yeah. So yeah, your publisher is kind of astute. Yeah. 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 I, I think as well, like, I, I used to get really hung up on, oh, you know, I really, I'm really attached to this idea or this sure. scene. I don't, I don't want to cut it. Now I'm just like, I don't even give it a second thought now. Because I know that I I I'll, I'll use it again somewhere else. It's up here, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get it. Or I'll do I've, my my wall. The, the room that I write in, the wall is just covered in post notes. It looks like a crime investigation scene. That's it's great. just like random scrawlings of a madman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I know I can use them again. It's a bank of ideas, right? I can come For back sure. to. But, um, yeah. Now, like again, with Saito from Kiltopia Three, I was like, he's dead. I can't. I can't think of 
a good resolution for his story or why he's not a strong villain anymore to me. I just naturally find out find something better I could do and find a good way he, to take him out. And he wasn't big enough for what your conclusion for your conclusion. That's the, I think yeah. that inherently becomes the thing is like oh wait the the conflict has outgrown him as you know the antagonist. Yeah, and I think that's why in three he's kind of just a bit of a joke. He's kind of pathetic, and he's kind of like right. the, the the world is so much bigger than him now. And it's like um, I'll give I'll give you another example, right? So my very first comic bust, right? It came out in twenty fourteen, uh, twenty fifteen, and um, it's post apocalyptic, right? There's mutants in it. Mutants have taken. There's a mutant plague that's taken over America. They're not zombies. They kind of look like zombies a little bit, but they're mutants. And it says very clearly they're mutants. And I, this was because at the time in video games, zombies were everywhere, but to the point where it was getting really old very fast. Right. Every game had a zombie mode. Um, and I was like, okay, I, 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 these aren't zombies. It's not. A, it's not The Walking Dead, which I've got nothing against. But it's not. It's sure. not that. That's been done. So many people said, oh, yeah, the zombie designs are really cool. Oh, they're going to be like more cool zombies in the next issue. The second book takes place 10 years later after all the zombies have died out. So I did that through nothing else but spite. (laughs) I just killed them all off. Um, But I thought I didn't want to just be – I didn't want the zombies to be the main focus. The characters are the focus, right? I don't want – that's not the threat. They just happen to be in this world, right? Um, So – in a way, it made the story stronger. It brought it back, the focus back to the characters and the things they're going through. Not, oh, there's cool zombies, you know. It's so I just again another on the on the cuff on a whim. Just I, it's set ten years later, and they're all dead now. <laughs> right. <More zombies. laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's interesting. You were, you were saying about the the concern, or I guess you were voicing a bit of concern when it came to you know, let's say you know, writing a book for Marvel or DC because of the page count limitation, but. I think one of the things about creativity is that it is these confines where our creativity comes out. So when you have, you know, your work and your client is saying, hey, our budget's this, or it has to be done on this date or whatever the things are, we have to solve these problems. And so, so when an editor says, well, the book is only 22 pages. I always say that joke. It's like, it's not 23 pages and it's not 19 pages. It's 22 pages. That's what's going to happen. So you have to figure out like that creativity, your brain goes, oh, okay, wait a minute here. And then you get all that excitement kind of built up and then you figure out that, that, that solution that works. Um, and when in yes. doubt, giant eagles is always the solution. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these characters need to get over here. Cool. They can just, yeah. Call- <laughs> giant eagles. I think you're right because it's it's um, the more restrictions you have on yourself, page count, budget, you just get more inventive with ways to get to the solution, mm-hmm. right? It's, you have to be yeah. creative. With that. Um, I think for me, it's like it's not even just the page count; it's just the the, the rate. Because I, I I procrastinate, not procrastinate a lot. What's the word? I kind of get lost in my own head about things, and I deliberate, and I get really. Um, like I can't decide, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? So for me to work to a deadline through that constraint, I think that's where we get, we get difficult to put yeah. out like monthly scripts. Um, but again, I've never done it. I've never worked to that sure. kind of pace. But maybe maybe yeah. it would be fine. But I'm kind of talking myself out of a, you know, if anyone from Marvel DC is listening to this, they'll be like, he's not the guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, 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 surprise, surprise. Almost everybody is more like this than not. I mean, I, I mean, they've been dealing with creative people for 60, 70 years, and it's just the nature of it. There's a whole lot of 
mess has to be made before the thing is actually a thing. Yeah. Especially with the writers, especially with the writers, because the artists don't have time to like, oh, I'll just redraw this page. It, that doesn't happen. You just yeah. don't have the time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, no, you're, I don't think you're talking yourself out of, out of a job. You're just showing yourself to be the person who are, is like everyone else doing the job. It's an interesting thing you brought up as well. Like the, the artists, yeah, the, there are problems, right? And I think a lot of people, certainly new, new creators that are maybe working on their first book, I, I speak to a lot of people like that at Comic Cons. And a few of them have vented a bit of frustration. Like, like, how, how do you make these books? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm really, like, everyone just makes it look so easy. And I'm like, it's not. <laughs> it, you see the final product, right? And again, it's a social media thing. Like, you see all the good yeah. stuff. But um, I, I'm, I think, well, I like to think that I'm quite good on Twitter, where I, I do complain. I do talk about how difficult it is and how mentally challenging it can be, you know, for to always be on top of this kind of stuff. And, um, I, I, that's definitely got me a little bit of kudos, I think, in, in comics for like, oh, this this mm-hmm. guy sugarcoat it. He's, you know, um, I, I've had people who as well, you know, have said, oh, thanks, thanks for talking about the bad side of this, the mental struggles and all that, you know, that come with being creative because it's just big fact of life. A lot of people do struggle with these things. It's not all, it's not all comic cons and signings and getting pitches accepted. It's uh, it's a hard job, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a real it's a real thing, and I mean. We haven't really touched on it, but I mean, also there's just the the creative struggle and the the imposter syndrome and all these things that happen. I mean, I I I make light of it, but almost every project I start off with, I don't care what it is, I go, "How do I do this? Yeah. Like, how do I do it every single time? Like, I have been doing this for 25 years. Why is it that I just can't go? Okay, just start doing the thing. Like, I just go. I mean, how? Wait. Like, and then you just go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, you know, but then mm-hmm. something clicks and then you go, well, I'm just, it, it's like, it's like novel writing. Like people have a huge level of pressure that they put on themselves in the concept of I'm going to write a novel and I have to make this perfect. But what they fail to consider with that book that's sitting on the shelf in the bookstore however it starts is it's a fucking mess like the first draft is horrible and it should be horrible like anybody who says oh my first first draft i just did a few little changes and it was done i'm like you're a liar you're mm-hmm. a lying liar liar like there's no way we have to make a huge mess before we can make something pretty oh yeah and and i i see again at comic cons i get i've had this before like people coming up to my table like got an idea for my first comic but i don't know how to start writing it and i'm like just i mean this is gonna make me sound like a bit of a dick but i'm like just start because it no. is like it's not like you can't i think they are expecting there's two things that i think they're worried about one is that they'll write it read it back and think this is terrible which it will be because it's a first draft. i mean it, right my first drafts are terrible right they are um the other one is that once you start making it it's real and it's out there and and it's at yep. the it doesn't really belong to you anymore right it, it's at the mercy of people's feedback and that in itself can be it can be scary it, it really yeah, can sure. um, especially with issue ones because it's a brand new concept you know um yep. and it can live or die based on that feedback you know it, it's it's you know, I've had bad reviews before as well. It's soul-crushing stuff. You, you tend to just, rather than get upset about that stuff, just learn from it. What mm-hmm. can I do to to write the ship and um, improve as, as a writer? Because 
I'm of the belief that you you never know everything about a thing. Never, not no. really. Um, I I am always trying to figure out how can I be better. And between actually writing comics, remember, I, I don't read a lot of comics when I'm writing them because I want to just fo- like. I find I might get too influenced by something, right? So I, okay. I don't want to avoid that. But in between projects, I am di- digesting as much stuff as I can, trying to get new ideas because you need that time to recharge and sort of just see how other people are doing things. And it's inspiring stuff, you know? And then the idea yeah. back starts to fill up again. And um, But it's a shame to think that someone might not start a creative endeavor because they're worried that they can't do it or, or they're yeah. scared of you know, you just have to try. It's it's one of these things you can teach all the theory about writing you want, but you have to actually do it to to get good at it and to learn it. Yeah, right? it's it's like um art 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 um art. What is it? The AI versus artist thing that's going sure, on just now. Right. People want to people want a shortcut without having to learn the thing to do the thing. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. You know, nope. um, just have to crack on and put put in those. What do they say? Ten thousand hours or something. Or yeah, I mean. Wait, that's the thing. I mean, we, you know, you can make a great living if you can create the book, which gives you all the shortcuts to become really good at subject X. And this is going to be going on for hundreds of years. You know, someone's got snake oil. Someone has got some sort of answer that is going to get you to that golden place where you want to go because, because most people don't want to do the work. Or they're afraid to do the work or they're afraid to put it out there. I mean, like you said, I mean, it's a terrifying prospect to bear your soul to strangers and say, here's the thing. I made this and then have the potential of people saying that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, it's, it's weird because my very first series, the one that doesn't have zombies in it anymore. <laughs> um, the non-zombie I, book. Yeah. The the fourth issue of that is going on Kickstarter next month. And it took a big hiatus because Killtopia just overshadowed it like crazy. And I thought, do people really want this one anymore? But it's called Bust. I'm like, do people still want Bust anymore? Like, I don't see anyone really asking for it. Or So to me, my my silly head was like, oh, it's it's just fizzled out naturally. Nobody cares anymore. But then I thought, no, this is silly. You need to finish this series because people are back. They don't be daft. Sure. You need to see at home. So I announced it was coming back. And then everyone was like, oh, cool. Like, they all they all understood that I was busy with it. I'm only one guy, right? I was busy with the Kiltopia blowing up unexpectedly. Um, they were, people are really hyped for it. So recently I've been going back to the first few to just like, because uh, the, the last two issues are already issued. And it's a five part again. So they, they're done. Um, and I'd go back and I used to think, oh my God, that's terrible. But now I look back and think, you know what? I have developed. You know, I have. It's it's it shouldn't be seen as a bad thing to go back to that earlier work. You know, you should right. just take some pride in the fact that you have learned the craft and you were a different person then, right? Um, right. That, that and it's it's like when people on Twitter, I see this a lot. It's an artist will post something they did when they were like fifteen, and then they'll post do the same. They'll do the same artwork today. Sure. No one and you can see that journey, and that's what we're talking about. That's the that's the time that they've put into to learn but imagine if you just never did that first step to begin with you, you know you never know um yeah oh yeah uh, dave i think you need to post a page from your first script and then a page from your a current script you know you can show with the date below you know, 2000, <laughs> 2015 2022 people go like wow, wow. that would be cool actually <laughs> yeah look at that comma look at that comma placement solid yeah <laughs> I'd say like if I was speaking like honestly, I think probably the thing I've gotten better at is probably dialogue. 
Like, yeah, um, okay. I, get, I do get, I mean, again, not to be humble brag, but that's, I think a lot of people, that's the thing that stands out for a lot of people is that it, it doesn't feel exposition-y. I mean, this is the thing. A lot of comic writers um, will say that exposition, exposition is bad. You do need some, a little bit of it, right? And that's where... Mm-hmm maybe creating a character who's kind of new to the environment needs things explained to them. And that's like a good way of getting around that problem. So you're sure. not explaining things directly to the reader. You're just, it's like, so in the, in the new one, Phantoms, there's a rookie cop that joins the force and he's new. So he obviously he's going to get stuff to explain to him. So I think it's just finding natural ways to work things into conversation and the artwork, of course, is, your, is a big tool for world building. So I think I've gotten better at that because Bust 2, um, the second issue, we're actually having to redo the lettering because, my God, the the, the word count per page on that was <laughs> off. I don't know what I was thinking. That's that's an, that's an exception to the rule of looking back and being proud. That I am not proud of that because so much of my artist Chris, his art is just obscured like crazy by all these bubble trails, and uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know what I was thinking. But I had to make those mistakes to learn from them, right? So that's sure. Um, Oh God, it's so bad. <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. I, I love that. Hey, listen, man, the dialogue is the writer in comic books is the writer's equivalent of drawing. This is where you get to do all the drama and action and all the sort of moves, but with words, because the pictures are the result of the script in the description that the artist has interpolated and made something from that. But now you get to act. Yeah, that's cool. I, I never thought yeah. about it before, actually. Yeah, that that's it's spot on, isn't it? It's It gives these characters um, life. I mean, the art obviously gives them life and style and stuff. But it oh, gives yeah. them voice, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good way of looking at it, actually. Yeah, I have, a, I have a, a friend of mine that rescript his comics for him because he loves the voice that I give to his characters. So he'll send me the thing and say, okay, what do you, what can you do? And so I'll go, okay, and I'll go through the whole thing and I will just make the, I will act for the characters, you know, for 20 pages and then go, okay, cool. There you go. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So I guess you're busy this year with Kickstarter. So hit me up. What's happening? Let's get the Kickstarter map. <laughs> Laid out. So February, we're doing Bust Four, which is the concluding, well, sorry, uh, penultimate chapter of my right. not zombie comic. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in how people respond to that one actually, because the way we're going to market it is, hey, it's my first ever thing. You you know you know me from my most recent stuff. Check out where I started from. So I think that might be a nice way of people. Oh, cool. Kind of where things because I wrote that script like again like 20, 2016, something like that. So it's really old now, relatively speaking. So I'm a different person now than I was then. So anyway, so that's February. Um, we're thinking round about the end of spring, we're going to do Ninja Baseball Spirits 2. Okay. Um, then Summer um, Beatdowns Permanent 3, which is my beat em up comic. Um, and then September, we're thinking, well, we are in September definitely doing the Kiltopia Omnibus, the collected book. So Sweet. Um, we're, we've got some ideas of what we're going to do for that. I think there'll be some bonus stuff in there, maybe some guests, forwards, uh, artwork, stuff like that. Maybe some um, old sketches, you know, design, character concepts, you know, uh, making off kind of things. So uh, all up in the air. We're not entirely sure exactly yet what's going to happen with that. But also throughout this year, we're going to be working towards our first Kickstarter for next year, which is the Kiltopia anthology that I mentioned. So yeah. um, we have a long list of like art, artists, letterers, colorists, uh, everything. 
um, that we want to work with. But we're going to do another round of open submissions soon for that and then start actually making the shorts throughout the year because, you know, there's a lot of anthologies out there that struggle, I think, certainly from conversations I've had where they make they make most of it after the Kickstarter, but then they don't realize just how much money it takes to make an anthology yeah. and time as well. So we're just going to slowly chip away as, as much as we can using our Cotopia 5 money. Um, to fund that so when the kickstarter drops next year it will hopefully mostly be done fingers yeah. crossed we'll see yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and then next year we're going to announce uh phantoms uh at some point the first issue oh, of my wow. series so yeah quite a lot, wow. <laughs> quite a lot that's so much it's so much on yeah. top of you having to have like to work for a company yep a few days a week uh be a husband play video yep. games like it, 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 it stacks up, but it sounds to me, Marvel, DC, anybody else that you, uh, you have room for a, uh, for, for, a, another comic book. Oh yeah. I mean, actually, so I'm, like I say, I'm working on a pitch, Well, I, I very slowly starting to work on a pitch with an artist for image, yeah. which could become a thing. Um, we actually don't know what the, the arc is for that. So I think we need to, you know, as per their submission guidelines, we need to get that nailed down first before we can even approach them. But it's in the works. We'll see. And I, my my take on pitching is: if it lands, it lands. If it doesn't, whatever. We'll just do it ourselves. So there's no sure. there's no harm, you know, in doing it. But there's that. I'm also doing my video game books. I'm I'm doing video game journalism. Uh, I'm doing like a big feature once a quarter for like a gaming journal that's out now, like a new one. It's called Lock On. It's really okay. nice. Actually. It's like 250 pages with a nice, perfect bound spine, all original artwork from some really big people in, in the games industry. Um, so I'm kind of getting back to my game journalism roots, doing a, a big feature once a quarter for them. So that's pretty sweet. sweet. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how I fit it all in. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a small list. I, I'm 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 a little exhausted just hearing it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um what's the best way that people can keep tabs on what you're up to yeah um so twitter definitely is the best one um it's at dave s cook um and in my bio there's a link to my link tree which has like my big cartel store my mailing list sign up um just everywhere else you can find me from there so yeah get on uh, that mailing list <clears throat> Yeah, we only do it once a month because I, I hate spam and, and it's there's always something actually worthwhile to say in it, like a new announcement or like something cool that we're doing. So um that's also how you can keep track of my Comic Con appearances. I'm doing quite a lot this year. So um yeah, that's the, the, the mailing list is definitely a good one to to sign up for. Right on. Yeah, and I'll I'll have links in the description for you know your social media, web presence, blah blah blah, all that stuff. David, cool. sir. This has been fun. It's been fun for you. You okay? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always prefer these things when it's just a chat, you know, rather than sort of pre-scripted questions. So yeah, thank you. thank you so much. All right. Well, to everybody who's listening till next week and everyone stay safe and do the right thing. That's my new thing. Just do the right thing. <laughs>